Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle. We're that HR dashboard that's helping you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. How do we do that? Simple. We have a people dashboard with all these pre-built connectors to the most popular HR systems you're all using. That's right. We can automatically connect to all your different systems like Bamboo HR, ADP, Trident, Paylocity, 15.5, Greenhouse, Reflective, Lattice, too many for me to talk about right now, but be sure that we can connect to your HR system to pull all your data into one place so you and your HR team can view, share, track, and analyze all that data together. Please go to EmployeeCycle.com, check us out. would love to give you a demo so we can explore how we can become your people dashboard partner. But that's enough about me and our company, because today I would like to welcome Jocelyn Thompson to the show. She's the CEO of Work Vision Consulting, and today we're discussing how to remove bias from the hiring process. Jocelyn, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Jocelyn, welcome! Thank you. So, Jocelyn, we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Absolutely. Yeah, so I actually started my career in hospitality business management. That's where that's uh, what I got my degree in. And then I went and worked for Nordstrom in their management training program straight out of school. It was a really great experience working in their cafes and espresso bars as a manager. But while I was doing that, I realized that the things I loved about being a manager were HR related. So, you know, recruiting, training people, coaching employees, doing performance reviews, all of that. So I wanted to get into HR from the sort of restaurant retail management side. And I had moved from Nordstrom to Macy's and decided that, you know, I was looking for jobs in HR and it was just really difficult while I was working. So I left my job at Macy's and I didn't have anything else lined up. I spent, you know, sort of full time looking for a job and doing a lot of classes. So uh, any free webinars I could find on HR, anything to connect with other HR people. And eventually the way I got into HR was through temping. So I worked for a recruiting company as a temp and I did that for a little while. And then I got into a regular full-time role as a HR specialist. Awesome. Thanks for that background. So Jocelyn, today we're talking about how to remove bias from the hiring process. And on our podcast, we really like to make sure that people understand exactly what we're saying, because there's a lot of terms and acronyms that can be thrown around. So let's dig into what is bias. And we know that we have bias and unconscious bias, but if you can just give us some definition and some context around the different types of bias, that would be awesome. Yeah, well, I think especially with hiring, the main thing we think about is the unconscious or implicit bias, which are essentially interchangeable terms. And uh, when we think about the unconscious bias, it's the way that our brain processes information that we're not aware of. So it's the thoughts that are forming 
when we're assessing our environment that we're just not conscious of. And this is happening all the time because we process so much data in our daily lives that we're having to assess things really quickly. But what we have to do when we're in the business world is slow down and process information much more slowly. And so when we talk about things like unconscious bias training, it's training people to identify what biases they might have that are coming up in the back of their mind that they can then, you know, when they're making decisions, they can look at that information and actually assess it with all of the facts. For people that believe they don't have unconscious bias or they're not operating in a way where they're displaying unconscious bias, what do you have to say to those people? Because you do have people, especially through a lot of the things that have happened, especially in our country around DEI and diversity. And so a lot of people were throwing out unconscious bias and a lot of things in regards to race and race equity and inequality. But you had people saying, you know, I'm I'm not a racist or I'm not a person that's in this whole unconscious bias thing. For people who are saying that, what is your response to that? Well, I think... You know, you just have to look at the science and the data behind it. And the reality is that everyone has unconscious bias. So we can't really say I'm not part of that group because it's it's every human. It's just how our brain works. And unless we're ready to identify it, there's no way that we can overcome the pitfalls that, that happen when we are making decisions with our unconscious bias. So now that we are talking about unconscious bias, can you give us some tangible examples of what that looks like in the workforce. And then after we go through some of those examples, we can go through exactly how do you remove it? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question because there are just so many ways that it comes up in our daily lives. But I think, you know, if we're talking about hiring or promotion decisions, what happens when we're thinking about putting someone into a role is we automatically visualize in our brain what that person looks like before we ever have a candidate. And so that's a a really good example of unconscious bias where you're visualizing what the person looks like as a human being, right? That's, that's our natural, uh, our brain wants to create images of things and, and what they will be like. And so if you're putting that imaginary person in your brain, you're already selecting for certain characteristics that maybe aren't necessary to be able to be successful in that role. So one of the things that I talk about when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this can be for, you know, hiring new talent, promoting talent, training talent, who you're selecting, um, is to look at core competencies. And core competencies are going to be skills, and these can be both hard and soft skills, but actual skills that we select for a candidate to be successful in a role. And so when you can put that down on paper, it's a good way to to avoid this idea in our head of you know what we've what we've determined this person is supposed to look like. This is an interesting concept to me. So when you're saying that we are filling in the gaps of what this person should look like for this specific role or opportunity, is this similar to how when a person is thinking about who they're going to date or who they're going to marry? And it's like, oh, I want this person to look like this and dress like this and have this job. Is it the same type of thing where we're filling in this ideal fantasy prototype of this person, even though we might be blocking off our opportunity from other people just because they don't fit our requirements? Or is this something totally different? No, absolutely. I think it's the same thing. And I think 
the first two things we think about when we meet people is we assess their gender and their race. Gender first, race second. And so when we're imagining people in our brains, those are the two characteristics that we're, you know, firstly imagining. And so that happens with candidates as well. And so, you know, especially when we live in a world that so much focuses on the gender binary and what someone should look like in a role, whether they should be male or female, we generally don't think of non-binary people because our, our world doesn't tend to work that way yet. I think, you know, it's changing. But um, that's one thing so often I hear people talk about potential candidates, and they're already identifying what gender they're going to think they think that they're going to be. And so that's the very first bias, I think, that happens with um, identifying people. And then race is the second. You know, we have ideas of what certain roles, what predominant race they are. And, and that's something that just comes up in our brain, whether we want it to or not. But we can't avoid it coming up. What we have to do is identify it and move past it. This is really fascinating. And so to go a little deeper, and even and even on a more granular level, I would like to talk about where does unconscious bias start in the hiring process? And so you mentioned that first is gender, and then it's race, correct? Yes, typically those are the first two. When, when we're meeting someone new, we're usually assessing those things about someone um, first and foremost. And, and so that's the same as when we're, you know, imagining this perfect candidate. Got it. So if that's the process that our mind is going through, talk to me about how that happens when you don't meet the person first, but you encounter their name or information about them in a resume. What's happening there and how is unconscious bias playing into that, even though you haven't physically met or seen this person? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we look at the characteristics on someone's resume and the first thing we assess is going to be their name, that's usually at the top. And, you know, sometimes there are indicators of what um, race and gender that person's going to be. Although often I've, I've found myself, I, I think it's going to be one way in my head and then I, I meet them and it actually isn't true. So that's why it's so important not to have, you know, not to assess people by that bias because, you know, names don't always represent exactly what we think they're going to but that does happen. And so, you know, figuring out there are actually uh, really great programs that take names off of resumes. And that's something uh, a company can use if they're trying to eliminate some of the bias in their hiring process um, and actually just look at the, the skill set of the person. But I think even if you don't have a name on a resume, there are certain jobs that we assume are done by certain genders. And so that's still going to potentially happen if we look at someone's skill set or the, the words that they're using within their resume. And we have ideas in our uh, culture about what's feminine and what's masculine. And so those are things that, that we assess right away, too. And we just, you know, we grow up in this culture that is, has influenced us to feel this way. So it's not something that, you know, we can avoid. <laughs> um, but again, when we identify it, we can we can work past it and really, really look at skill sets um, versus some of those biases that we have. After listening to you talk about the different types of bias and how our brain is being triggered and or wired to do certain things, I think a really interesting way to think about this is to go through the different hiring stages when people are connecting to your brand and connecting to the job opportunity to see where there are areas of bias and how we can remove it. So I'm going to assume that the first place you interact with a company, let's just assume you don't know this company and it's not a referral, is their employer page. 
And before we even get to the jobs or the job descriptions, maybe there's an employer page with pictures of people, or maybe there's different ways you describe your company. Do you typically see any bias there in that area? And if so, what is it and how can we remove it? Yes, I think, you know, some some employers are doing a really good job of this where they're diversifying the photos of people that they're showing working for their company. Of course, you know, you want to make sure it's representative of the company. That can be problematic, too. If a company has two black employees and those are the only two employees you're seeing on their career page, um, you know, that's not very authentic. So, so, so there is, you know, you have to think about that of who you're representing on, on your, you know, who represents your employer brand. But one thing that I, I think is interesting, um, is a statistic I heard a really long time ago. And so I don't have the exact number, but essentially it talked about the types of photos that you use, uh, to represent the jobs that you're posting for. And so in particular, I think about posting on Craigslist because you can have a huge uh, amount of photos and oftentimes I would be posting for like a line cook or something. And so I would intentionally try to have different line cooks that I was showing. You know, I had women, people from, you know, different racial backgrounds, all different kinds of makeups. And that people, if they um, don't see themselves, you know, they're less likely to apply for the job. But in particular, that people of color are less likely to apply for a job if everybody in the ad is white. Whereas white people are not less likely to apply for a job if everybody in the ad are people of color. So I just thought that was really interesting to think about when you're thinking about how you're, you know, posting those, those ads um, and what you represent uh, of what your company is going to look like. Interesting. Okay. So let's just say we identified and removed the bias from our employer brand page, whether it's a video or it's images, we got that covered. We listened to Jocelyn, check, check, check did a scrub, we're good. Now let's go to the actual job titles and descriptions. And so what kind of bias are we now seeing in job descriptions, titles, requirements, all things job postings? Yeah, absolutely. The way the job description descriptions are written can definitely eliminate certain groups of people from applying who may be completely qualified for that role. And so there are actually places you can go online to have your job description assessed for gendered language. Um, That's a really big one where uh, a job might be written. Most specifically, um, it's usually written in a more masculine form where it's going to appeal to men versus women. And then you also want to look at the types of requirements you have for candidates. So oftentimes we're seeing that companies are trying to require bachelor's degrees for roles where experience would substitute just as well as a bachelor's degree. And so that's an important thing to think about when you think about the opportunity gap and who has the opportunity to get a bachelor's degree and who who might we be eliminating because there wasn't the access to higher education. Um, And so there's just a lot of things you can think about when you're actually looking at what does this person actually need to be successful in the job versus what do we you know, with our bias of, you know, maybe valuing a bachelor's degree or even a master's degree. Sometimes I see master's degrees for roles where I don't even think the person would need a bachelor's to do it. So that's really what to think about, you know, and even beyond that, then having bias for certain types of schools, if someone went to school online, not viewing that as highly as something else. Um, but there's a lot we can do with that job description and job posting to make it more inclusive for a greater array of candidates. Interesting. Okay, so now we've done the same thing with the job postings and descriptions and requirements, scrub that. 
went through some system, got a couple eyes on it, made sure that we're not filtering or we're not discriminating or creating any bias against any type of people. So now candidates are moving through the actual recruiting process where they're getting in contact with a recruiter or the recruiter is seeing their resume or LinkedIn profile. What types of bias are we dealing with at that point? Well, that's when we really get into the unconscious bias because people, you know, it's actually humans that are selecting for who's going to move forward into the process. And so, you know, we talk about unconscious bias training. This is not something you can do as just a standalone, you know, set it and forget it type of policy. You actually really have to follow up and make sure your processes and procedures are supporting the unconscious bias training. Um, But that's something that, you know, every company should be doing anyone who's involved in the hiring process and selecting candidates. And when it comes to this unconscious bias, I don't know if there's data to validate this or not, or explain it and give more context, but are we seeing more unconscious bias with the recruiters themselves to not even allow the candidate to get an interview? Are we seeing more unconscious bias during the interview process from managers and other people included in that process? You know, I'm not sure what the data supports, but my guess would be once people get further through the process, and part of the reason for that is because they're actually interacting with the people. And so I think there's a lot more room for unconscious bias once you're actually interacting with people versus information on a piece of paper or information that they put into a job application. There's going to be a lot more data that they're perceiving and potentially having bias from. Are we typically seeing the same type of bias from hiring managers and other people part of the process than recruiters, or is it different? And if so, what kind of bias are we seeing from the hiring managers? That's a good question. I think it all depends on the person. And one of the things that I recommend is to ensure that the people selecting candidates through your process are a diverse group themselves so that you have diverse hiring panels. Um, Because what can happen, uh, you know, one of the most common types of bias is that people are looking for, you know, looking to select people that are like them. And so if everybody on the hiring panel is the same and people have this bias that they want to select people who are like them, then you're going to get all the same kinds of candidates and you're going to get the same high marks for the same kinds of candidates. Whereas if you have a diverse hiring panel, you're going to get different perspectives. The like me bias is going to be different for each person. And so there's going to be things that different people on that hiring panel like about different candidates. So I think that's a good way to avoid that idea of hiring this like cultural fit person who's like me, person I want to grab a beer with, you know, all of those pitfalls that happen through the hiring process where people gravitate towards people who are just like them. Jocelyn, I found all this really interesting and fascinating. And I want to ask you one last question, which I hope will be the most impactful question for our HR and people ops audience. And that's how do you start? And the reason why I'm asking this is because a lot of people personally, professionally, whatever you're trying to do, the hardest thing isn't to keep going in whatever you're trying to do, but the hardest thing is to start because it can seem overwhelming, like you need too many resources, you don't have enough time or bandwidth to do this. And so because this is such an important thing that so many companies are not getting right today, for any listener out there thinking, this is all great, Jocelyn, I would love to hire you potentially to come do this. Maybe I don't have budget. I don't have the resources or bandwidth for me or my team. 
how do they start? What, what do you, what can you do to get the ball rolling on this so that within the shortest period of time, you're in a place where you're starting to remove bias from the hiring process? Absolutely. I think that looking at the big picture is a really important piece of this because looking at your hiring process as a holistic process is really important. So when you're initially looking at it, assessing it, setting goals, you're looking at all the different things that you need to change. Knowing that that can be overwhelming, you don't implement everything at once, right? It's important to know the full end goal, but when you're implementing things, you can do little things at a time. So, you know, one thing I talked about was assessing your job descriptions and your job postings and making sure they're not eliminating any groups of people, you know, looking at uh, adverse impact and calculating that to see if any of your processes within, you know, your selection processes within your hiring process are adversely impacting a specific group without meaning to. So meaning that, you know, they're selecting uh, less than 80% of those candidates of what the, the majority group is selected, things like that. So I think it's it's starting by looking at a holistic process, but then taking it one step at a time. And when you're planning out your goals of how you're going to improve, you, you make those incremental. And as you reach each incremental goal, you can celebrate, you know, you can celebrate the change in the process, but the process, you know, it really needs to be overhauled. So there is that holistic overall goal that you should be shooting for. Jocelyn, thanks so much for being such an awesome podcast guest. Really appreciated your time your experience and wisdom in this area and so happy to also be the very first podcast that you've been on. I am so happy about that. So thanks so much for being on the Employee Cycle Podcast, Jocelyn. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a really great first podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So where can people find you in WorkVision Consulting online? Yes. So our website is workvisionconsulting.com. You can email us at info at workvisionconsulting.com. And then you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all of that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone who enjoyed this episode as much as Jocelyn and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it shows that we're creating great content. Also, if this is your very first Employee Cycle podcast episode you're listening to, but now you're hungry for more awesome podcast interviews, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.